Hey, Breakthrough listeners, it's Jason Lowe and Peter Lount from episode number 107. At Ascended Financial, mybankersvault.com, we specialize in teaching real estate investors across Canada the process of becoming your own banker, the infinite banking concept. Do you also find it frustrating when it's difficult to access the financing you need or when the housing market moves against you? And when there's unexpected prolonged vacancy or expensive repairs, are you tired of transferring all that money away from you? We have the solution at mybankersvault.com. By becoming your own banker, anything that you are already doing financially, including real estate investing, is radically improved. Whether utilizing this process for down payments or for entire real estate purchases, becoming your own banker puts you in a position to control the repayment schedule on your loans while enhancing your overall returns. Whether you are brand new to real estate or a seasoned investor, we believe that ready access to money and financial control should be in your hands not the banks or a loan officer. We have an exclusive and irresistible package for Breakthrough Podcast listeners. If you want the best way to build and deploy capital, easier access to money, better returns, and less headaches, head on over to mybankersvault.com. That's mybankersvault.com. For the skills and tools to succeed in real estate investing, you've come to the right place. This show is about breaking through barriers, breaking through limiting beliefs, and breaking through to the life that you want to live through the power of real estate investing. This is the Breakthrough Real Estate Investing Podcast. And now, here are your hosts, Rob Brake and Sandy McKay. Welcome back to the show, everybody. Thanks for joining us again today. Uh, Sandy, you're here with us as well as usual as usual what's up today when it comes out of me i I mean it's you it's like wow you're here again can't believe it every time every time seven almost seven years strong yeah is it it's getting there man getting there six and a half oh well luckily most people listen to it on audio they can't see us (laughs) that's right i know i'm bald but i got the porcupine hair going on so i gotta cover it up today Hey, I don't know what that feels like, but I'm sure it's uh, I'm sure it's fun. I forgot the locks. You actually have to style your hair. I've been going like all over the place, man. I was like a few weeks ago. I had the big beard going, longer hair. Um, back to kind of standard now. I think we're back to I don't know if we're normal times yet, but we're in September 2020. I think I'm back to normal. <laughs> right on, right on. Uh, what's new? Anything happening? Uh. You know what? Next episode, maybe I'll share something fun. We're buying a big building. I don't know if it's it's kind of up in the air right now, um, but it's a big multifamily. So we'll see if it if it actually comes together finally at the end. We'll um, we'll share the story a bit, but uh, I don't want to jinx it because it hasn't hasn't finalized yet. Oh, jinx it! No, you don't. You won't be jinxed. Um, yeah, and uh, you guys put out YouTube videos all the time, right? So there's probably yeah. On that project. There'll be something if someone Google's it, yeah, they could probably find some stuff. I just did a YouTube video um a couple days ago. I put out one on our new student rental duplex hybrid that we're sort of in the middle of renoing, but I'm caught up right now on permits. We went as far as we could without them, and it's just been such a struggle with the with the city there to Peterborough or where is it? Peterborough, yeah. And yeah. I mean they've just been coming back at me with like one thing at a time. So they'll review it and go, now we want you to change this. Okay, I changed that. And then they go, now we want to see this. And mm-hmm. that's back and forth one thing at a time, um, probably three or four times now. And it's incredibly frustrating. They go away on vacation. No one's looking after their file. 
blah, blah. But yeah, it's, it's been a struggle, but still, um, still a really solid investment. I'm super pumped on it. Go check out that video and, and see what we're doing up there. It's really interesting. It's, I think it's called, um, duplex student rental hybrid part two. So, uh, other than that, everyone listening should go over to, uh, breakthroughreipodcast.ca, right, Sandy? There you can get the free report. What's that called? And the ultimate strategy for building wealth through real estate. Uh, get on our email list there. You will never miss an episode. Um, we have had a couple tech hiccups in the last month. So if you were on our email list there, you probably didn't miss out. Um, but if you weren't on there, you might have missed out. So if you jump on our email list, you won't miss out on a show. And you will get updates on everything we're doing. I know I saw you're doing a um, you're doing a virtual property tour. Is that what you're doing too? Yep, I'm doing one this weekend. So we're going to implement those again. I sort of got lazy and uh, stopped doing that, but um, but we're going to try and implement them again. People seem to like it. You know, it's it's more of a my business has always been sort of like a community thing, right? Like we all get together and uh, go out together and look at properties. So I've really been missing that since all of the the whole uh, shutdown and everything started. Um, we can't quite get back to the live ones yet, but um, I think people really enjoy getting together and being able to talk and, and, and go through some virtual property tours. Uh, online. Absolutely. I'm sure. So, yeah. That'll be fun to get back on so they can, they'll never miss a, out on an opportunity like that too, when they get on the email list. So go jump on that breakthrough RA podcast.ca. Yeah. And subscribe wherever you guys listen to this. Uh, I know there's a bunch of different channels where you can and leave us a rating review on iTunes. That would really, really help us out. And people have been great so far. Like we get all kinds of reviews. I think, you know, we're up over, I don't know, 300. I think we're over 300 reviews on iTunes now. So uh, thanks everybody for doing that and get on. If you haven't done that, get on over and do it, please. Uh, I think that's pretty much it. I, I mean, I don't have anything extra that I need to point out today. I can go I we're good, man. be a Peterborough. <laughs> Normally they're great. I will say that. Um, this is just the one time where things have been super frustrating. But Well, let's jump into it then. Let's jump into the interview. We've got a great guest standing by, uh, Jessica Galley. Uh, he's a commercial real estate advisor specializing in downtown midtown Toronto markets. Uh, represents clients in various areas such as tech, startup, not-for-profit, uh, traditional corporates, and others. Uh, he's a leasing advisor. So Jason's goal is to help his clients find flexible real estate solutions for both their short and long-term needs. He's also a real estate investor. I know he's invested in some other markets uh, outside and around the GTA. So we'll talk about that. And really interesting topics. I don't know if we've ever really had a guest with this background. So it's exciting to bring on Jesse here today. Welcome to the show. Hey, guys. Hey, Sandy. Rob, how are you guys doing? Awesome. Yeah. Thanks awesome. for being here. And you're probably right, Sandy. I don't think we've touched on on this side of it, especially downtown Toronto. I mean, we've done, we had to, uh, we did talk to Montreal downtown recently in the last, what, a few months back. But I don't know how the heck we haven't done a Toronto commercial. Seven years. We haven't even touched on this. It's crazy. So it's a small place nobody's ever heard of. Yeah. We're making up for lost time. <laughs> it's too rich, maybe, I guess. It's too expensive for us. <laughs> That's, yeah, that, that can be true. Yeah found the best person to talk to and that's why we're doing it now there you go so uh yeah so again thanks for being here appreciate you taking the time to come out and and talk to us today so i mean sandy mentioned a bunch of different things in there but we sort of focus on we'll we'll get to everything but we mainly focus on the investing side of things so uh as an investor let's talk about that how'd you get started and and where are you now i guess with the progression 
Yeah. Um, so thanks again for having me on. Uh, basically, I got started actually as an investor. And then years later, I kind of moved into uh, the brokerage side. But uh, my first uh, my first foray, we call it that, in, um, in rental properties was a student rental property in Waterloo. And for those that don't know where that is, about an hour and a half uh, west of Toronto. And it was actually while I was in university, um, I was living with uh, four other guys. I saw that one of them was renting to us and I was like, what am I doing? Why am I not renting to my friends? So uh, basically I started looking for investment properties in, uh, in Waterloo and this is probably around uh, 2009. So there were some deals to be had in the area and the first property I ended up buying was, I think it was around $240,000, $250,000 back then. Uh, five students, five female students from uh, University of Waterloo. Uh, I uh, I tried to pretend I was like 10 years older and I knew what I was doing. And uh, yeah, I started renting out to them. And at the time they were, I think we were around 450 to 500 bucks a tenant. Um, so times five, and that was the, the income at the time. And um, so, I mean, people always ask, you know, where'd you get the money to, to buy it? And I always one of my pet peeves is when people don't say the source of their funds and they just assume anybody can buy a property for, you know, the first time when you're young. And for me, um, had a, have an entrepreneurial family went to, uh, to my dad first. He's like, I love the idea. There's no way I'm giving you money because you're in school. And, uh, being a child of divorce, my second go-to was to my mom being like, Hey, he said no. So, um, and what ended up happening was we were able to, uh, do 10% down as I think, at, you know, 20, $25,000. I put up half of it, uh, had a, you know, had my mother guarantee a loan, uh, for the other half. And that was how, that was basically how I wedged into my first investment deal. And that was, I think at the time I was just turning 20. Awesome. Young and, uh, young and fresh right into it out of the gates. That's, that's awesome. Um, and Rob, you're uh, you're muted there, buddy. If you think I don't know if you're trying to talk, but <laughs> um, uh, so it's okay. Okay, cool. So what what made you pick Waterloo? I guess because you were going to school out there, is that right? Yeah. So at the time, actually, my cousin uh, he was going to Mac McMaster University in Hamilton, and I was in Waterloo. So uh, when I initially started looking, we started looking at both markets. Uh, if you remember you know, back in the day, I don't know if it's still the case now. Uh, rents were a little bit higher in Waterloo, uh, and some of the product we saw, uh, I just you know looked a little bit better, less uh, less intensive in terms of doing work. So. Started in Waterloo, and then I slowly, over four or five years, uh, you know, rolled that first property into other properties. And I, by the time I left Waterloo, I think it was up to four properties. Um, and then from there, that kind of was my base of of investing uh, uh, knowledge and ge geography. And then, you know, from there, I moved into Toronto and and Durham, and and kind of grew it from there to to what I'm doing today. And uh, you still own the pro first property there uh, today, or did you end up selling it? Or so sold that? Yeah, sold that property. What um, what I ended up doing was because we had, uh, you know, I had a few properties in Waterloo that had appreciated, and I started working in Toronto downtown. Um, what I did was I took some of the capital there, sold those properties, and bought a few pre-constructions in Toronto because I'm sure you guys remember uh, even as recently as a few years ago there were, was just a crazy run on condos, uh, in valuation and kind of, you know, took a bit of a gamble on them, but would have still rented them, uh, ended up assigning and or flipping a few of those and kind of parlayed that into the, the next investment. So I think it was after leaving Waterloo, I, 
I kept those properties for a few years and then slowly sold each one. And uh, pre-construction, what was the experience like with that? We, we've, we've talked about that a bit on the show, but um, was that uh, what made you get into that? Was it just the, you know, the, the quick kind of flip around assignment sort of a, a strategy that made sense? Or what was the what was your thoughts uh, going into that and how to play out? Yeah, initially, no, it wasn't. Uh, it wasn't to assign at all. Like what what I found was I was I bought my pre-construction condo prior to to moving to Toronto and I kind of saw what was going on in Toronto in terms of kind of the values that were going up. And I saw basically people that were buying in my uh, condominium uh, were, were flipping their contracts, were assigning their contracts, which for those that haven't done that uh, before, it's, you know, just simply basically selling your, your rights uh, of ownership of the contract itself. So assigning that uh, for a fee and um, you know, it was it was something that uh, I always tell people be very cautious if you do it. Um, as you guys know, uh, make sure you have a professional helping you with that, and make sure you're looking at your tax situation with that too. Because you know you can't just buy a condo; it goes up fifty thousand dollars, and you think you made fifty thousand um, dollars. Oftentimes, it's not capital gains, depending on how often you do it and the circumstances. And then, in addition to that, there's HST, GST. Um, just items that you should be aware of. You may have to pay that back to to the builder. So it was a good experience to kind of go through that. I find that today it's it's harder and harder to do. And uh, you know, I think uh, I think there was kind of a frenzy in Canada, especially in Vancouver, where people started to look at you know what people were doing specifically with these contracts. Not that it can't be done, but you just really need to make sure you cross your T's and dot your I's. Yeah, because I have run into quite a few people who have have thought they could assign their uh assign their agreement to buy it, right? And then they weren't able to. So, uh it's Yeah, for sure, for like, sure. And and it's usually stipulated uh yeah, that's that's a great point. If the builder, you know, stipulates in the contract we do not allow assignments, then you know, you can't be in contravention of that. Uh sometimes builders will put it you know, you pay us $3,000, pay us $5,000, some sort of assignment fee. But then oftentimes they'll have a, um, a time period where you are or are not allowed to do that. And they don't want you competing with their own sales is usually the case. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because they're they're selling off their last ones at the end for, you know, the, the top of whatever their their range was, that's going to be the top, right? And you're going to come in probably a little under because you bought it for yeah, exactly a lot lower a few years back, right? Yeah. So let's talk about the commercial investing uh, world there. That's what that's what you do downtown Toronto. Tell us a little bit about that. So yeah, I mean, on the personal end, uh, my partner and I, we you know we look for multifamily residential. So you know we bought an eleven unit in Hamilton, and we, I can talk get into that. Um, but on the corporate commercial side, whether that is you know office, retail, industrial, that's what I do in downtown Toronto. Uh, it's kind of a uh, crazy market right now, as you guys know, just given the last few months, the shutdown, uh, retail is is getting hammered. Uh, it, probably the most charitable way to put it. Um, and office is kind of in between, as you know, like companies are the lifeblood of office. And if they're not in the office, uh, a lot of the uh, a lot of the companies are not able to, to pay their rent. And then industrial and multifamily, we have seen just Kind of going gangbusters. They're still humming along. I think uh, Amazon just did eight hundred thousand square feet uh, signed in a fulfillment center in Hamilton. They did a million square feet in Ajax, and yeah, they they seem to be like the darling of commercial real estate right now, industrial and multifamily. So we'll see what happens after the government assistance ends, if it does uh, for uh, for the multi res. But uh, industrial, it you know, we were in uh, I believe can- 
Canada or in Toronto, um, Mississauga in general was the lowest vacancy in North America for industrial for a while. We were we were going back and forth with uh, with LA, so it's not surprising that investors are still still moving to industrial. And I mean, also the nature of the shutdown. Uh, you know, you're you're still having things made. You're still the fulfillment centers uh, still need to be there. So it's an interesting time for commercial real estate for sure. And we'll see how the next you know six to twelve months uh, pans out. Well, yeah. So, I mean, Hamilton too has been, I know speaking from here for me locally, it's been crazy. Industrial is just has, didn't even skip a beat. What, when you say, um, when you say retail really got hammered, obviously we, you know, I think most people kind of know that what, what, to what like extent has that been? Is it like, like how bad is that right now in downtown Toronto or? Yeah. Or so the easiest way to put it is, you know, what, what companies are filing under CCAA, you know, for, for, um, uh, you know, under bankruptcy protection or restructuring. And and we've seen those come out of predominantly the retail uh, groups. And if you talk to asset managers in Toronto or any landlords in Toronto, the groups that have come to them for the most assistance have been retail groups. So it's just, um, it's a challenging time because their margins are so much thinner. Oftentimes, you know, think restaurateurs, think uh, storefront retail, that they're the ones that it makes sense that they're getting hit the hardest. Uh, another thing to kind of note is this wasn't, you know, a lot of people think that, you know, working from home on the office end or uh, retail going to e-commerce, this stuff all predated COVID. It's just kind of gotten shoved, uh, you know, a little bit, quicker than than it was going to happen. Um, but I mean, that's an opportunity. Um, you know, oftentimes it, you hear the quote, it's not that we have uh, overbuilt um, real estate in terms of retail. Uh, I think what's what we're looking at now is a lot of the repositioning of retail assets. So if you have a bunch of retail that, as you guys know, highest and best use in real estate, now it's, you know, investors are starting to look at that. Oh, is there a play to make this industrial? Is there a play for redevelopment? So I think that's my guess is that's what we're going to see over the next few years is that a lot of low um, utilized retail space will probably be converted, whether that's converted to residential or industrial, I guess remains to be seen. I guess it depends on the location too. Okay. Yeah, for sure. Um, okay. Well, Hey, listen, uh, you you actually do a podcast yourself, right? It's called uh, Working Capital. Tell us about that. Yeah, so uh, I started the podcast. A lot of people think I started it during COVID because the first episode was in COVID. I was like, I'm not that quick, but I predated COVID, and it was just kind of perfect uh, timing, just given the fact that we have more time right now. So I the podcast, it's yeah, Working Capital, the real estate podcast. You can find it anywhere you listen to podcasts. And what I try to do is I have investors on, uh, economists, uh, anybody that you know has a, a hand in real estate investing. So I'm going to have a hard money lender coming on. And I was lucky enough to have, uh, I used to be a contributor for the Bigger Pockets YouTube um, channel. So we had Brandon on, Brandon Turner. Um, he was the first episode and that kind of kicked it off. And yeah, we've gone from there and it's, uh, yeah, it's about 45 minute uh, podcast and it's everything real estate investing. Awesome. Yes. Yeah. Cool. I haven't, I haven't heard of it, but I'm definitely going to check it out now. I awesome. Do, so how many episodes do you have? So I think we are now up to 17. Yeah. 17 uh, episodes. We just had the wealthy gardener that was on uh, the, yeah, that was on last. It's a guy that basically it's a really cool story. Uh, you check out the book called the wealthy gardener. It's a book he made 
similar to The Wealthy Barber, if you've ever read that, but it was basically a real estate book for his son and just uh, kind of a direct uh, writing to his son about how he um, became financially independent through real estate. It's actually really cool. Right on, right on. I haven't read that either. Good tips. What do you view then as do you think your biggest mistake that you've made in investing so far? The biggest mistake in investing? Uh, probably, I mean, not starting like I always tell uh, younger guys, I'm like, don't wait for the don't wait for the right time. I was lucky enough to start to start early. I think I would have leveraged partners a lot earlier than I did. So, you know, we go in oftentimes into real estate and at least the mentality for me was, you know, I want 100 percent of of my investments. And, you know, at a certain point, it's not a matter of when uh sorry, it's not a matter that you're not going to have capital at some point, you are going to run out of money. And um, bringing in partners, whether that is operationally or from a financial standpoint, you really do see that if you get the right mix of, you know, partner or partners that you have uh, the ability to really grow your real estate and you find people that are complementary to what you do. So, um, you know, John is somebody I met through brokerage. He actually buys and sells multifamily uh, to our clients on the Avis and Young, the commercial side. So he has access to deals that we would never be able to take down, you know, 140, $200 million deals. But he also has access to, you know, comes across smaller deals that oftentimes his clients aren't interested, um, but we might be interested. So that was kind of uh, when I met him, we basically bought that first, uh, the apartment building in Hamilton, that 11 unit. And that was just kind of the marriage of being like, Hey, I have experience, you have capital. Let's, uh, let's put a few offers in on multi-res and that's what we want to continue to do. Try to find uh, multifamily properties. Yeah. So that's the, is that your, uh, strategy, I guess now going forward type of thing, primarily to focus on the apartment buildings, like that, that sort of level mid, kind of, I don't know what you call those small to mid size, I guess. Small to mid. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it, like it's great to, uh, if people ask of like retail office industrial, um, it's great as an investor, but I find that, you know, you have to have deep, deep pockets, especially for, uh, those asset classes. You know, if one tenant goes oftentimes that's 50% of your income. So for us, uh, even though the market is still kind of crazy right now to find apartment deals, we're still calling on apartments off markets, you know, just like I'm sure I'm sure you guys in your world, you're calling people say, Hey, you, you're a seller. No. Okay. You a buyer. No. All right. Well, you know, listen, here's my number. Uh, if we could grab your email, if anything comes across our desk that we think of, is of interest and, you know, it's just kind of uh, a building, building that database and hopefully getting off market deals because as I'm sure you guys know in this market, uh, once it hits MLS, it's pretty much useless at that point. If you can even get in there. Mm -hmm. And I liked, uh, I, I liked your point about, um, not waiting for the right time. I thought that yeah. was, I thought that was pretty good. Um, because we do see a lot of people going, no, I'm going to see how something plays out, whatever, whenever it is that they decide to look into it and, uh, and then sort of back out that's that's what you'll hear is well no i'm gonna whatever's going on in the world right now i'm gonna wait and see how that plays out uh before yeah. i take the jump well, well you get something yeah. going on right well <laughs> you get you get analysis paralysis and what's what's funny is you get very intelligent people that that fall into this trap and you know i had i've had people in the past that have been like 
you know, I'm just trying to figure out, do I put it in a corporation? Uh, you know, is it the same as an LLC? And I'm like, dude, I'm like, look at the property, go like, just go see the property. Don't even worry about that stuff. You'll figure that stuff out. Don't worry about insurance. Don't, you know, don't get, don't let getting bogged down in those details stop you or prevent you from actually getting out and seeing the property. And that's another thing I always recommend to, um, younger investors, uh, even if they can't afford it, they're always amazed when I say to them, uh, you know, they show me a property, like, ah, I no way I can afford it. And I tell them, go tour the property. And they're like, well, wait, you can, you can do that. I'm like, yeah, go tour the property. Have that like psychological thing of you being in the space and actually going through a tour and being like, oh, wait, maybe I can purchase this because an amazing thing happens when you actually put yourself in the driver's seat and actually look at a property. Maybe you meet somebody else that's interested in it. You know, you start realizing, oh, this isn't rocket science. Anybody can, can go look at property. And, and yeah, I always, I always tell them, uh, you know, if you see something you like, you know, don't waste people's time, obviously, but it's, um, I mean, we're all agents, like it's what we do, you, you know, I'm not going to turn somebody down, uh, and, and vet them at the front door and see if they can pay. Yeah. So how do you decide on a deal? Like, let's say, I mean, cause we all have those concerns. I have that concern too, but it doesn't ever stop me when I, when, when I, when I'm at the time where I want to move forward, I'll go out and I'll find something that works. Um, how do you, how do you do that? How do you continue to move forward when there's always something in the world that, that sort of says, Hey, maybe back off right now. Yeah. So for me, it's, uh, I mean, like without sounding highfalutin, like thinking of what your uh, investment philosophy is. And that to me is just simply means what asset class, uh, what area, what type of return do you want? So I was sent a, a property, um, actually, just yesterday and it was a 18 unit multifamily apartment building. So we're looking at the, um, the data room and we're going through the rent rolls and, you know, doing everything that we typically do. Is it in the right geography? Um, yeah. Is it one that we're in? No. Uh, usually what I immediately do is I look at the, the town, the city, uh, what's the immigration like, uh, what are the major industries? Is it uh, monopolized by one industry? And if that industry falls off, we're going to have an issue. So I start looking at the larger risks, the ones that if this happens, it'll blow up our, our dealer substantially impact it. And then after that, getting more granular, you know, look at the valuation and the pro forma that the agent gave you, because it's always the wrong one and figure out building your own and seeing, okay, they put $400 a unit for uh, repair and maintenance. That's you know, the average in North America is a thousand. So let's bump up all those and then kind of creating that pro forma and then seeing, you know, does the capitalization rate make sense if it's a fully occupied or stabilized uh, building or is there value add uh, to be had with the, um, with the rent roll? So to answer that question with, with the example from yesterday, we just didn't see any upside in the rent roll. The owner before did a great job. They stabilized the rents. They've probably made a, a bunch of money or will make a bunch of money on it. But basically it's a, it's a coupon clipper at this point. It's, it's got stabilized rent and you're going to be able to have good positive cash flow if you leverage, um, if you don't leverage too much. So we're kind of on the opposite end. We want to find things where our uh, loan to value might be a little bit higher than, you know, uh, you know, more, a, an investor with uh, more experience or more capital. And we'll look at kind of trying to boost the rents. If there's a couple of vacancies, that's, you know, gravy for us. And that's really where we can add value. Obviously it can't be too, too many vacancies because then you run into the problem of actually financing it. So 
kind of all of that, all of that really factors in. And, and you know what, once you do this for a while, you can, you can do all that stuff pretty quickly. And, you know, you can see right away if somebody send you, sends you something and you just know that these, you know, the numbers don't make sense. Um, and, and then you kind of go from there, but that's, that's the way I do it. So really when you break it down, it's more or less, does this fit into my criteria? And if it does, that's something that you'll go forward with. So yeah. Good point. Have a set, have a set set of criteria and now go out and see if something fits into it. If it doesn't, maybe look somewhere else. Yeah. And Rob, and Rob, what's, what's, what's nice about having partners too, is once you build, whether it's your network or actual formal partners that invest with you, then that criteria can kind of expand, right? You can have, you know, if I have buddies that are, um, their partners are in construction. So their criteria can be twofold. Maybe it's stabilized multifamily, but Hey, we have a value add opportunity that needs, uh, you know, medium to substantial construction. And now they have a, a wider um, pool of investments that they can uh, put offers on and, and take down. Very good. I like that. Um, we, we, I think we touched on it, but I wanted to just clarity on it a little more because you said you started out at 20. You know, a lot of um, a lot of people might have, uh, most people probably are pretty nervous regardless, but let alone at the age of 20 to jump into something. And, uh, you know, analysis process, talk about that. But Really, when you're 20 years old, how, how the heck do you get over that hump of, uh, you know, if you're even a millennial in general, how do you get over that hump of ju jumping into this if it's not a familiar space and maybe, you know, you've got some education, but how do you ultimately really pull that trigger? Because it's a tough one. I imagine at 20, you, like, you've got to be fairly scared. And I'll yeah. that yeah. before you answer. You know, you mentioned that the property was, I think, $250,000 or something like that. So we look back on that now and we go, oh, wow, like, man, we're... I wish we could find that again. That's so cheap. But at the time, it, you know, that's a very daunting number for somebody, you know, at that time, your age, right? Yeah, for sure. And and 250 was was high to us at the time, right? There was stuff in the, excuse me, in, in the hundreds. And uh, so uh, the the way I normally answer that is I was lucky in, in a sense that, uh, well, a number of ways, but like I said, my family's entrepreneurial and my dad's family immigrated over here. They started an automotive garage. So they, he, he understands the idea of being entrepreneurial. In addition to that, one of his best friends to this day is a real estate investor. So also seeing a little bit, not that he was explicitly supportive, right? Because I was in school, but I was lucky from that point of view. And I think also fortunate that you know, at the time we always think like we're talking about now, everything's is expensive, but back then cap rates were still, you know, there was still a decent spread between uh, lending rates and cap rates. Whereas now the thing that I get asked the most for somebody that's trying to jump in is I can't, I can't afford to, to get into this market. Most people can't, unless they're putting 40% down payments. And that's true. If you're staying in LA, New York, downtown Toronto, Vancouver, where your cap rates are 2.8, right? It's just, you just can't do that unless you have enough capital. So the first thing I say to, to somebody that's kind of nervous about getting in is obviously do your research, uh, look at markets where you're going to have that spread and you're going to be able to do that. So whether that's going into Durham, uh, you know, Hamilton, even further outside of, outside of the core area that you're in, where, wherever that is, you know, Montreal, Vancouver, and then basically for myself, what, what kind of got me over the, the mental hump was like a lot of real estate investors that you've probably interviewed. 
a lot of the books I read at that time uh, were, you know, the rich dad, poor dad books, the the Canadian versions of uh, the real estate investing books. I can't remember. Don Campbell, I think, had a bunch of them back in the day. And then I still think real Canadian real estate magazines around. But if you guys remember, there was I mean, social media was around, but it was 0809. And we were still going to chapters and buying Canadian real estate magazines. And they always had a feature of like the, you know, the feature investment property. And it was like, some teacher in Windsor and you're like, all right, that could be me. So I think the, I think getting exposure to the industry and, and lastly, I'll just say for anybody that hasn't gotten into real estate and wants to break in, try to find meetups in your local area, try to find uh, investor groups or real estate groups and just immerse yourself into people that uh, with people that have done it. And you're going to see right away that we're, you know, it, it's not rocket science. All great points. And I think like in summary of that, it's like your environment, right? You got to get in the right environment to, to where 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 other people are doing it and it's not unusual to be going and buying properties you know you a lot of people you know you mentioned maybe you're lucky to grow up in that environment a little bit with with people you you were kind of born into this world to be around not everyone maybe has that but you can go find that you can go find your meetup groups you can go find your clubs and stuff to go immerse yourself in that environment where it's not weird to buy 20 investment properties a year or, uh, or buying hundreds of millions of dollars worth of property. Like those groups exist. Go find yourself some mentors, go find a place where that's not unusual. And all of a sudden you'll be, you'll be the weird one not doing that stuff. And it'll be, it'll be so much easier to take that hump, get over that hump. Right. And we've all, we've all been there a hundred percent. I remember if you look back, it, so one of the guys I had on my podcast was talking about, you know, you have somebody that goes to med school and it's a, you know, it's a path that so, so many of us are familiar with. He doesn't come out. He's always studying. He's and 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 everybody's would champion that. But you, when you're a young investor, he never comes out. He's always reading about this. He's looking at these investments, and suddenly it's just like you're a pariah. It's like that's a weird path I, until you buy properties and and become successful in the industry. And I remember when I started, not dissimilar, I'm sure from a lot of people that are listening. Oh, you know, students, especially student rentals. Oh, they're gonna they're gonna tear tear apart the place. What happens if this happens? What happens if that happens? So like, and it's uh, it's hard to it's hard to push through that unless, like you're saying, find a group of people that have done that, and then you'll find out really quickly that they'll say, yeah, yeah, no, we everybody gets told that it's bullshit. You know, if you're careful, you can you can um, you know you can be successful in this area. Or, or everybody tells you that and, and here's what you do if that happens, you know, there's, there's also that too, right? Like cause the, for every problem that's happened, there's somebody out there that's already been through it. So especially with student rentals and that kind of thing, there's, there's so many different stories and, and so many different things that can happen with them that somebody is every single problem that you can think of. Somebody else in student rentals probably already had that issue and they could tell you how to navigate through it. Right. It's yeah. Not, you can't. It's that you might need a little bit of guidance in order to do it. Yeah. And, and, you know, the funny thing too, with student rentals, if I hear somebody saying that to anybody, you know, the first thing, well, first of all, today, the student rentals are built like prisons. They're, you know, you're not breaking anything in, in a lot of these concrete uh, structures. But what I've, I've told people in the past that, you know, oftentimes it's, it's almost more bulletproof, the income you have a parent usually guaranteeing, usually guaranteeing the, the capital, uh, they don't want to embarrass their kid because it's a kid usually living with other people. And then the, the reality is the one thing that we struggle with outside of student rentals is the rent control that we have in Ontario uh, compared to a lot of our you know friendly neighbors, neighbor states uh, down south is that 
in student rentals, you mark to market every three years, pretty much, right? You know, if, if rents go up $40 in, um, in a certain area in Toronto, you know, you can only put the guideline up, right? You can only do not even next year, I guess, but normally, you know, one, 2%, whereas student rentals, if there is that 40, $50 uptick, uh, per student, you know, after you have your three years, you have a no, new co cohort of students. So you, you can, you know, reset your rents. Makes sense. Yeah. Student rentals have a lot have uh, there's pros and cons to every strategy, right? It's pro, there's definitely some pros with the student rentals on the, on the revenue side. I agree. How do you go about managing whether it's student rentals or you mentioned, you know, I know living in Toronto and having apartments out here in Hamilton or other areas you're looking at, how do you go about managing uh, buildings or student rentals from a distance? Yeah. I mean, props to, uh, property managers. They, uh, I mean the really good property managers, it's, I mean, it's a tough job for anybody, but it's, you know, nobody calls you and say, Hey, nothing's happening. You're doing a great job. I haven't had any calls. Right. So, you know, when they do their job, nobody really praises them for it. So, um, what I do is I usually, so for the, uh, Hamilton, just as an example, um, I interviewed, I think three, uh, three property managers. Uh, we, you know, looked at, Googled, you know, property managers in Hamilton, looked at the reviews and then basically took each one of them out for a Tim Hortons coffee and, and just asked, you know, what, how do you do, you know, sell me basically, you know, like, what do you guys do? And what I try to do is tell property managers, uh, especially, you know, don't do it if it's not true, but if you go into an area and you say, you know, we're looking at, uh, building a portfolio in this particular area, we'd, we'd love to kind of have you on board and, and hopefully grow with us. And, Oftentimes I, you know, one thing I tell, uh, people that are investing in an area that want to know about the area, I oftentimes connect with property managers before I even buy a property in the area. So that was the case with Hamilton because property managers have a wealth of knowledge that I think that often goes untapped. So if you're looking at an area that you've never invested in, call a property manager and don't, I mean, just be honest with them. Be like, listen, I have, I'm looking to buy properties here. Um, here's a rent roll for a property that I'm looking at. Does this make sense to you? Uh, this is an area that I'm looking at. And sometimes property managers will say this is completely off. These rents are way too low or don't touch this area. It's next to this place. And this place is a known uh, area for crime. So they often give you these like crucial bits of information. And then once you do take down a property, then you can call them up and say, hey, listen, remember, remember me, we were talking, um, you know, we'd like to have you on board. And from there, uh, you know, the management is really dependent on how they manage and how you want to have a manager. So, you know, I know getting granular, some people like to have, uh, you know, the property manager transfer them all the capital. Uh, some people like using their own accounting systems. And I've had property management companies that have said, you know, no, we do everything on our end and then, you know, we'll send you everything. So I think it's, it, it's a combination of finding the person that gels with you. Uh, and yeah, I've had, you know, over the years, I, I've had some challenges challenges with some property managers, but the nice thing uh, with the property management industry is it's so competitive. So if you know if you're having a challenge, uh, you know find find another one. I think that's a great advice. Actually, finding getting knowledge from the property property managers have some really really good stories, really good uh, insight that probably most realtors even won't have. Uh, yeah. Or or other other professionals in the in the, that sort of space in in local markets, right? They've 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 probably dealt with the worst of worst or the best of best situations and everything in between. So actually, it's something we don't talk a lot about is actually going out and doing that. But I think that's a great piece of advice. Uh, realtors and property managers probably are the two with the most knowledge. But realtors, as we know, 
case by case with who you're dealing with project managers. I mean, that's all they do is they're managing rental properties, right? So well, it's, they, it's nice too. Cause you go in before the relationships established, like you and I, as, as agents, you know, we're going to be biased to, to the deal completing. Whereas if you go into property manager, like I've seen some crazy, like, you know, don't touch this building. Cause I've, you know, I know these three individuals move there and they have are nothing but a nightmare. They're professional tenants, you know, so you can't get that boots on the ground level by just, you know, going on MLS or, you know, just putting uh, putting offers out. True enough. I agree. Let's talk about your biggest tip that you have for anyone getting starting started. It's short and sweet. Just uh, just start. Uh, you know, and that and that doesn't mean you know buy a property tomorrow. That might be, you know, the educational piece. Like one nice thing, you know, I think you guys said you were doing this podcast for seven, eight years now. Is Almost seven. Almost that's cr- seven. that's yeah. crazy for like podcasting. That's like a, an eternity. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Congratulations on that. But uh, you know, basically the point the point is uh, when I started in real estate and people started prior to that, there was I mean no podcast at that time. I don't even think I don't know 08, 09, Really, the podcast Definitely space. No Canadian ones, right? <laughs> yeah, maybe bigger pockets was yeah. coming or almost there. Yeah, that was that's a great point. Just yeah. before us, like. <laughs> Not even a year before us, I don't think. Oh, yeah. really? Oh, yeah. There was nothing then. There was nothing then. <laughs> yeah. So I, I think for it, for people, it's just we, we have so many resources today. If you want to learn something today, there's literally no excuse. It's just a matter of of getting the information that's out there and then having the discipline to to take it in and execute. Uh, so for me, you know, starting in real estate, that's usually building a, that education. And again, that that can be done through podcasts, through books, through meetups and uh, and then actually learning. Uh, but I can't, I can't remember the quote, something, uh, what was it? If information was the key, we'd all have six pack abs and be millionaires. So information's obviously a piece, but it's yeah. the execution piece is critical. So, you know, I've seen people that have, and, and you have probably on the podcast have seen this as well, where you have somebody that's been digesting podcasts, reading books for a year, for two years, for three, and they, they haven't invested in. So that execution piece, that jumping off piece. That's, that's the scary, but critical part. So yeah, that's, that's probably what I'd say there. Uh, here's my question for you then. How are they to know they have enough information? Cause these people that you're talking about, they don't know when the right time is. So how are they to know when they've got enough information to go out and do it? <laughs> so I'm going to give the answer uh, that I always get. Uh, I don't have kids, but when, uh, when you say to people, you know, when's the right time and they're like, there's never a right time. There, there's never going to be a right time. It's, it is your, um, you know, if you don't have kids and, and you buy a property, it's your baby, uh, at that point. And I don't think there is any clear cut time that's right. But I think to not completely not answer that question, I think that through learning the hope, the hope is that once an investment fits the criteria that you've decided to be in. So, you know, maybe that is, uh, duplexes in, uh, Eastern, uh, Southeastern Ontario, you know, there's a certain point where you have to be honest that, okay, this, this, this matches up to what I'm looking for. And and that should be the, the kind of, uh, the green light for you to, to invest. And hopefully all the education leads up to that point. But yeah, I, I don't think, um, it's very difficult to say that there's a, you know, hundred percent go to do something. Every deal I've done that I've been the most proud of has been a deal where as the purchase and sales happening, my stomach is upside down. And I, I'm questioning whether I should be doing this is, you know, is it too big is all, all those questions. So usually that's a good sign for me. 
Yeah. And I always go back to that other saying, which goes, uh, the best time to buy real estate was 20 years ago. And the second best time is right now. Right? Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Regardless of the market, hot, cold, whatever, honestly, it doesn't matter, right? I mean, if you're looking at a lot, unless you're maybe for flipping or something, then maybe that does matter a bit. But for most people, long-term approach, we bought a ton of properties in 2017, hottest market up until maybe today. And uh, I don't know, I wouldn't really regret any of them. I'd rather have had those properties than have taken the, the year off and not done anything, mm -hmm. right? We've got a lot more wealth there for sure. And um, yeah, I, I would never worry about the market being hot or cold, and especially if you're buying long-term. Um, even flipping, right? It doesn't really matter if the deals make sense. It still makes sense. It doesn't matter if the market's hard. Yeah. Or you just follow uh, every YouTube video that I see Burr strategy and just, yeah. <laughs> just hold the thing. I don't know if that's yeah. uh, if you guys have had a lot of people on for Burr, but I mean, at the end of the day, if you're flipping and you know, the market is not right and you can, you know, stabilize it, rent it and just hang on to it. Maybe refi uh, in the future. Yeah. yeah. I think that's a good point. Like for flippers, especially, um, if you've got sort of a backup strategy, if you position yourself where you can do something like that, I mean, let's face it, that's probably the most popular, especially for people starting out, right? So uh, is the bird, you know, is the bird strategy to hang on to it. But I'm saying for people who are looking at flipping should always have sort of a backup strategy. And, and that would be a good one. Yeah, I've, I've always, I mean, that's always kind of uh, bewilder me for people. If you're going and flipping, you're going all in. And if the market turns, you're you're screwed. So, I mean, just on that point, you, it might as well worth, uh, might be worth mentioning that, you know, you don't have to just completely commit to investment and, you know, the, the term house hacking or living with a roommate, uh, buying a place or having a walkout in your basement. Like that's a great way to start in real estate. You know, you have somebody helping out with the mortgage, you kind of quasi learn what it, what it means to be a landlord depending on kind of the arrangement with the person and say, if you know the person or you don't, but you know, that can be a great way to get into real estate and figure out if you, it's something that you want to continue to do. True. Good point. Yeah. It, it, as long as you can deal with someone living in your house with you. Yeah. I mean, and, and also like, which part is your house? You know, like I've, I have uh, buddies that started with duplexes, right. And you're kind of, you know, you have your place and they have theirs, but yeah, I mean, you pay for privacy, right? I would say that's a great way to start out. But I mean, if you go back and listen to some of the episodes, we've, we've all got stories of uh, things that happened. Like, man, the tenants that I got in my basement. Oh, brutal those stories. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's a good point. We've all heard those stories. I, my sister and, uh, and her fiance, same, same issue. And, and oftentimes, you know, that's a good point that a lot of times you're not prepared for that. And I think that's a good thing to be aware of. Like, we're not all going to be lawyers, uh, by investing in real estate, but just knowing what to and and to not do, and and also being honest about understanding that Canada is very um, tenant centric, uh, and you know, as a landlord, you make a couple mistakes, you can um, you can eat it and on some investments. So just being cautious of that. Nothing unsurmountable, but just being aware of uh, of how to operate as a landlord. And again, there's lots of good resources for that kind of thing too. Yeah. yeah. Plenty of them. Before we round off here with the show, I wanted to ask you just clear, uh, just kind of finalize the commercial one because I was it was a good little chat earlier on about that. But where do you see that actually? Like, where is that now? Where's it? Where's that going in the future? Because I think it's a very very strange time with that space, especially being downtown Toronto, where I know you focus a lot. What's happening there for the future? Like, what's the outlook for the next year or two years? Is it is it kind of worrisome for for most people for you in the in your space? Like, what does it look like? 
I mean, it's not, you know, like the easiest way to answer the question is, is from, because it's, um, it's asset specific. So, so retail is, it, it's a big question mark. I just think there, there's been a trend towards e-commerce and online. And I just think there, like I said before, there's going to be repositioning of those assets over time. I think that's, I think that's fairly obvious. I'm not saying anything, um, uh, crazy, uh, on the industrial side, I, I think is going to be strong. Um, like I said before, the fulfillment centers and warehousing, those are continuing to be drivers of the building of industrial. Multi-residential, I think over the six to 12 months really depends on uh, CERB and and the actual government assistance. So in the States, I can't remember if they, sh- they, turned, they finished it, but it was $640 a week. And even my tenants were making more money on this government assistance, some of them, than they were without the government assistance. So that I think six to 12 months in multifamily is really going to depend on, on the support from the feds. After that, I think, I think multifamily is always going to be a, a great asset class. Um, I just think, you know, we, especially in Canada, a lot of uh, immigrants that come over um, and we have a great robust immigration system. And oftentimes their first uh, house is a, is an apartment building. Uh, on the office side, man, I wish I could tell you it, it's my bread and butter and, and it's, you know, the valuation of buildings, especially downtown Toronto are predicated on leases and leases are, you know, interests of companies. So really we're betting on the, the companies in the Canadian market, you know, from the tech sector to insurance, to real estate. So I'm hoping that we, you know, slowly recover, but just keep in mind that we've had one of the most historically low interest uh, vacancy rates, sorry, in, uh, in office in, in, North America at 2.8% in the downtown core. That's not a healthy market uh, at all. So if anything, if we come out of this at nine, you know, seven to 9%, that's not, you know, that would be great for both landlords and tenants because what's happened over the last five years in the office environment is landlords uh, who have kind of a, a pretty much an oligopoly. Really, there's only a few big landlords, right? The Cadillacs, the Brookfields, the Oxfords. And they've basically set, set the terms for tenants. Um, and I think that has been really unfortunate for tenants that I now hope as we come out of this, will balance the real, the real downside is what happens between that. You know, when do we get to a place where we have an economy that's, that's moving again. And unfortunately this is not like other recessions. We kind of forced the shutdown because we needed to. So yeah, that's my two cents on, on commercial. Um, but yeah, I'd love office to come back because that's how I uh, put food on the table. Awesome. That's insightful. I, I, that's, that's good. I appreciate it. Okay. Well, listen, man, you've given us a lot today. Appreciate you coming on. Uh, we want to talk about how people can get in touch with you. So what's the best way for people to reach out? Yeah. Um, you know, you can just type Jesse for Gale, F-R-A-G-A-L-E. Uh, if you want to send me a note, um, usually I check Instagram. So if you DM me on Instagram, if you have any questions, uh, but yeah, YouTube, Instagram, or, uh, or just Google it. I'm sure my uh, my mug will show up at some point. And look up Working Capital, the show. Um, yeah. They can find you through that, of course, all podcast platforms. And um, I guess that's pretty much a wrap, Rob. Yeah, we'll put we'll put all of those uh, links that you just mentioned in our show notes, and that way people can get get that information nice and easy. Um, get the spelling, your name, and all that kind of stuff. And uh, thanks again for being here. Appreciate it. And we oh. Of course, I got to ask Sandy, how can people get in touch with you? Uh, 289-389-6846 or Sandy at McKayRealtyNetwork.com. And you can reach me at Rob at MrBreakthrough.ca. Sandy, what did your shirt say? <laughs>
I'm trying to, I've been trying to. I <laughs> uh, never settle, never give up. Right on. Right, I'll, I'll, I'll tilt it a bit down next time. Till next time, everybody, never settle, never give up.